It is by my hand you arise from the ashes of this world! Welcome to the Mad Max Minute. It's coming. Get ready for Mad Max Fury Road, one minute at a time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we're talking about Minute 9, which begins with a Morton Joe giving us a rundown of Furiosa's to-do list. And it ends with Joe opening some valves. Wrapping up the week with us from the Mile High City are Crystal Beth from the Fifth Element and George Hendricks from the Mogwai Minute. Hello. Hello. George, I knew you were going to be here today. You did not. I know, I was still surprised. <laughs> we have bits, folks. I love a good callback. <laughs> I love the smell of callbacks in the morning. Besides, George, you're always a very surprising person. I am. I surprise myself most of the time. Oh, that was me. <laughs> when we last convened on Wednesday, Joe was rocking the microphone and he said once again, and today we finally get to hear the end of that sentence when he says, we send off my war rig to bring back guzzoline from Gastown and bullets from the bullet farm. And I find it really convenient that you get gasoline from Gastown and you get bullets from the bullet farm because it wouldn't make much sense to uh, swept those around. <laughs> it's all about branding. <laughs> yeah. It's true. Yeah. And make it easy. Make it easy for these dum-dums. Yeah. I doubt... Intellect is high up on their list of value traits so far <laughs> into like this war-ridden, like, dog-eat-dog world, if they even have dogs still. They haven't eaten them all. Yeah. There's something to be said for strong branding. Like, if you're going to the container store, you're probably going to buy a box. You're not going to come back with Taco Bell. Yeah. Because that would be confusing. They have other things at the container store besides containers. All right. Name one thing that's not a container at the container store. They are really big into closet organization, like um, shoe racks and tie racks and drawers and rods at various heights and shelving. <laughs> Very few boxes involved. But it's all about the facilitation of containing things. Exactly. But they're not all boxes. <laughs> Just like you can get a taco or a chalupa or a Mexican pizza, not at the container store. Yeah. <laughs> hey, if you represent the container store and you're loving all of this content and you want to throw money at us to keep talking about the container store, we will. Go to madmaxminute.com or Taco Bell. I think it's a Taco Bell money. I'm going to start calling my tacos containers. They're meat and cheese and beef containers. They are. <laughs> yes, it feels they like are. it's a natural fit for the container store. Quick side note I saw a thing online that said that a hot dog is not a sandwich or a burrito, but a taco. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, it is the same, like, general shape. Mm -hmm. Well, it's definitely not a sandwich. Who was saying hot dogs were sandwiches? Oh, that's just weird. Unless it's an open-faced sandwich. Well, what if your bun accidentally splits at the bottom so it's two separate pieces now? Then it's a sandwich. Which I hate. Yeah, I hate when it does that. I like my bun to cup. Oh, I, I, you know what? I throw away the bun. I like the bun to cup my wiener. <laughs> <laughs> When it comes to hot dog buns, Crystal takes a very important Joe. If it doesn't work, it gets thrown out. Yep. I find the highest point of whatever barbecue I'm at. 
I yell out the war cry and I toss it over the edge with absolutely no remorse. Unless, of course, I made the bun and then I just tuck the bun in the back and kind of hide it a little Mm. bit and expect it to do smart things for me. (laughs) I find it interesting in this opener that Joe says, we send off my war rig, whereas in all of the other statements he's about to make, he uses the first person I. And I have to wonder, like, is he trying to make the masses feel more included? Like, all of us together... We are sending the war rig out to get supplies. Well, that's how you run a totalitarian society. You make everyone think everyone is doing everything with you, but they're really doing it for you. So you got to give them that <laughs> nod of we and then like, but I'm going to benefit from this the most. Except yeah. when I send you guys off to die for stuff, then you'll benefit from all this stuff. Do the bullets and the guzzling and all that. <laughs> Just to keep the hierarchy established. Just so everybody remembers their place. Yep. We, but don't get too big headed about it. It's really about I. So he continues after he mentions the different stops along the way that once again, he salutes his imperator Furiosa. And I think we've all made this Harry Potter related joke. So everybody together. It's not Fury. Or, no, wait, hold on. It's, it's, it's not, not Furiosa. Uh-huh. It's, it's Furiosa. It's Furiosa. Not Furiosa. That's great. So what happens when I don't practice ahead of time? I screw up my own Furiosa. joke. Not Furiosa. That's so funny. Shout out to Harry Potter Minute. They would think that was hilarious. Harry Potter Minute. So Furiosa, as we mentioned at the beginning of the movie and several other times over these minutes before getting to this point, is played by Charlize Theron. She is best known, according to IMDb, for her roles in Monster in 2003, where she played Eileen. This movie here... Also, Snow White and the Huntsman in 2012, where she played, I think, the Evil Queen, Mm -hmm. something like that. And then also in 2017 for Atomic Blonde, where she played Lorraine Broughton. That was fun. I really liked her in uh, The Italian Job. I liked her in The Italian Job as well. Yes, that was a good one. And Mighty Joe Young. Hello. Mm. I know I've seen Mighty Joe Young, but I don't really like remember it. It's got a big old wipe in it. It's a big old monkey movie. Yeah, it's really good. It's cute. Now, in my memory of... Charlize Theron, uh, Monster really is the movie that like propelled her into yeah. She won an Oscar for that, yeah, or nominated, or did she win? I know Halle Berry won for that. Yeah, she won, and then it was like when a pretty person becomes an ugly person, that's how you get an Oscar. Yeah, there's a lot of memes about that. Did she win anything for this movie? I don't believe so. A lot of props for being a badass. Yeah, Charlize Theron was born in Benoni, a city in the greater Johannesburg area in South Africa. She is the only child of Charles and Gerda Theron. She was raised on a farm outside the city and is of Afrikaner, meaning Dutch with some French Huguenot and German descent. She's a mishmash. She received an education as a ballet dancer, but there was not much for a young actress or dancer to do in South Africa, so she soon traveled to Europe and then the United States, where she got a job at the Joffrey Ballet in New York. She was able to work as a photo model. However, an injured knee put a halt to her dancing career, kind of like uh, Kate Blanchett in the Curious Case of Benjamin Button. Yes, oh, yeah. but it was modeled injury. on her life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> in 1994, her mother bought a one-way ticket to Los Angeles, and Charlize started visiting all of the agents on Hollywood Boulevard, but she didn't have any luck. She actually got noticed when she went to a bank to cash a check for 500 bucks, but she couldn't do it 
because the check was from out of state. And so she became furious with the bank teller and started shouting. And it's then that an agent noticed her and gave her his card. Uh, And it pretty much went from there. Like she started getting gigs after that. Man, I get mad all the time. What the heck? And no one notices me for anything. (laughs) So her first on-screen role was in 1995's Children of the Corn 3, Urban Harvest. Wow. A non-speaking awesome. part with three seconds of screen time. <laughs> she followed that up in 1996 with Two Days in the Valley as Helga Svelgen. That's a great movie. That landed her the role of Tina Powers in That Thing You Do. Oh, yes. Which was cool because she had a massive crush at the time, probably still does, on Tom Hanks. Hmm. Oh, don't we all? <laughs> <laughs> I love uh, T. Hanks. Since then, she has worked very consistently in films and television, and on February 29th, 2004, she won her first Academy Award, a Best Actress Oscar, for her performance in Monster. There she gets it. There she gets it. I'm an angry homicidal lesbian. Give me my award. Fun facts about Charlize Theron. She is a half an inch taller than Tom Hardy at five foot nine and a half. She is the second actress behind Kim Basinger to win an Oscar after appearing naked in Playboy. Oh. And she was considered for the role of Satine in Moulin Rouge, but Nicole Kidman, who went on to receive a Best Actress Oscar nomination for her performance, was cast instead, probably because Charlize Theron cannot sing. Which we learned on Saturday Night Live. Well, in her defense... Nicole Kidman couldn't either, so... (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Nicole. There's a monologue from Saturday Night Live when Charlize Theron was hosting for the second time where they do the whole performance about how she can do all of these amazing things. Like she's done humanitarian work and everything like that, but she cannot sing. Yes. To save her life. (laughs) She's beautiful. Stop. She's charitable. Come on. She's won an Oscar too. Okay, that is true. Yeah, if you're in a situation where you either get shot or Charlize Theron sings to save you, better hope your affairs are in order. Well, as long as she doesn't have to sing well, that's fine. But if she has to like bust out an aria for something um you're probably gonna get hit in the head with a bullet yeah when you're good at just about everything else though i think you can slide by on charisma yeah yeah tell me about it (laughs) (laughs) aside from winning an academy award i think she was also nominated for a razzie for the movie aeon flux hell yeah i love the razzies that was a fun movie i don't know if she actually like do you win or I don't think you win a Razzie. I think you lose. I think you lose a Razzie. I know, but like, I would love to win a Razzie. <laughs> I would go and I would accept that award. I'd be like, thank you for watching my movie. <laughs> thank you. That's Furiosa. We get to see a good look at her through the windshield of the war rig on a, as we get a nice little slow zoom through the side window. And Joe continues that he also salutes his half-life war boys who will ride with him eternal on the highways of Valhalla. I like that the guy in the middle, I'm sure that they did the artistic thing where they were like, all right, just raise your arms a little bit higher (laughs) just so it looks cool. But it looks like he kind of forgot how to do it (laughs) because everyone else is always keeps their arms bent. And he's like, yay. And like, oh, like it's like he wants to start clapping. 
I'm the tallest. He's an overachiever. <laughs> He's like the guy who just has to show up early for work and leave late. He wants to get noticed, try to get a yeah. promotion. Like you see him put his hands up regular and then he stretches them higher and is like, yay! <laughs> I love this part! And, ah! <laughs> He's a silly guy. In the art book for the movie, they have a quote here from Hugh Keys Byrne, who plays Morton Joe, as I mentioned before. He talks about the war boys in character he says quote i'm faced with an army of people who are dying at a massive rate from the pollution of the environment so i have a breeding program i have blood banks i have milk banks i have hydroponics anything to keep this up if i'm losing my army not to fighting but to disease like they did in crimea then you've got a lot to work on psychologically you've got to be looking at these people and trying to make them think daddy loves you everything is all right you're doing it for me I'm here suffering for you. I understand you. Let's go forward. That's what dictators do. I'm seeing myself as somebody who is here to raise us all up and make things better. <sighs> to give these war boys more of a life by giving them blood from other people I've caught. And we love cars, V8s. That's the answer. Let's latch another one to another one. Let's keep all of this going because this is going to keep us moving. This is going to keep us on top. So Immortan Joe is banking on this concept of... For the greater good, we're going to band together and all do what part we can, even if you're actively dying. Oof. Yeah, he's creating this you are my children narrative to ensure loyalty. And he even goes so far as to label himself their redeemer. Yeah, I mean, you can't be a godlike figure to somebody unless you use the words. You got to, you know, follow through. Right. They're like, I am, you know, his name is Immortan Joe, which is like, you know, short of for immortality. And like, I am the all living, undying, you know, king of the world. R.I.P. Jack. Oh. <laughs> well, it's like, again, just like the church. I you am know? the voice of God. I am the one that will help you do this. Come talk to me. Give me your money. Don't kill yourself. Don't, but don't kill yourself. Right. But heaven's great. But don't kill yourself because then you can't go. So the way that Immortan Joe got his nickname is laid out in the comic book. Basically, Joe didn't start the Citadel. He found the Citadel, and there were other people living there when he showed up. And so him and a couple of helpers through subterfuge and creativity snuck their way into the Citadel and killed, I think, most, if not all, of the people that were living there, like, single-handedly. Oh, my god! And gosh. so the folks that were following him are like, oh, he must be immortal. He's cheated death. He's this amazing person like they'd already been following him through the desert for years and this just cemented him as yeah. a yeah. mythological figure he's like murdery moses yes <laughs> <laughs> like murder moses yeah i went and looked up valhalla because for the life of me i couldn't remember if valhalla in the stories had any sort of road system mm -hmm. and it doesn't <laughs> they have the bifrost According to Thor. Technically, but in the Old Norse mythology, Valhalla is specifically the Hall of the Slain. Okay. It's a big building located in Asgard, ruled over by Odin. So it's just like staying in the foyer? Pretty much. It's the dance hall. The beer garden. <laughs> the cafeteria, so to speak. <laughs> That's not very nice i would want to go somewhere where there was a bed to sleep on yeah because in heaven i will be sleeping the whole time so half of the warriors that are chosen by odin go to valhalla the hall and they're led there by the valkyries while the other half go to freya's field 
Folkvanger. Gesundheit. And in Valhalla, the dead join the masses of those who have died in combat, and basically they prepare to aid Odin in Ragnarok. So even though all of these warriors are dead, they're just kind of hanging out in the cafeteria, eating lunch, waiting for the big battle to start. Ugh. Imagine all the anxiety. So Valhalla is specifically for people who have died in battle. Yeah. So this group of the war boys who want to go specifically to Valhalla, to do so, they have to die in combat. Yeah. Oh, it's terrible. So when they go into combat, they are hoping to die. Yeah. That's not very effective. No, you lose all your people. It goes back to the whole, they're comma crazy, to play on <laughs> kamikaze. Mm-hmm. Comma, like, comma, 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 <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you see how many wretched are hanging out in the courtyard. If you start losing out, we're on war boys. You can just pick out someone new, paint them white, and then boom, you got another foot soldier. Like, do you have cancer? Come on. <laughs> how many tumors you got? You got enough? More tumors, the better. I just like the idea of Valhalla in Norse mythology being like, you've been chosen for the A squad or the first string players. Mm. Like, sure, you died in battle, but only some of you are going to get chosen by Odin to join the, I don't even know. I'm sure there's a word for it that you can't pronounce. Varsity? Is that, is that what I'm trying to say? Like, like you're, you're good oh. enough to be on the varsity squad. Thanks, Odin. For dying. Where's food? But then you kill them. <laughs> So these war boys who are living a half-life, who are actively dying, if they manage to die of their diseases before they die in combat, they're screwed. Yep. Oh, gosh. They don't get to live, die, and live again. They just sort of... They just die. Disappear. Dying soft is not a good thing. This is really sad. (laughs) Yeah. It definitely explains their enthusiasm for combat, though. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, they're brainwashed. It makes sense. Yeah, and it, and it specifically explains Nux and his attitude towards going on the trip versus staying behind and getting fresh blood, which doesn't happen for a little while still. So while it's not specifically mentioned in this movie, the belief system that they all follow is just called the Cult of the V8, and it's got a couple of different aspects to it. There's the idea that Immortan Joe is this redeeming character who is going to pluck you up out of your half-life and restore you to this existence on the highways of Valhalla. There's a bunch of religious artifacts involved with it. There's the idea of the steering wheels that are hung on the altar of the V8 and the ritual scarification and the chrome spray. It's all meant to pretty much emulate how precise and powerful a V8 engine is. Like, that's what they're modeling their lives after. Okay. Thank God they didn't find, like, a MacBook or, like, a PC or something along the way. Or a Tesla. Yeah. I can't imagine what this movie would be like if they were the cult of the Tesla. (laughs) (laughs) Very quiet. (laughs) Very smug. (laughs) But they would run out of gas and have to, it would be more of a problem. (laughs) Finding a charging port. Where's the nearest charging station? Oh, (laughs) there isn't one. We have to go to charging station town. (laughs) (laughs) It's called Leshkrelux. So with the declaration that he is their redeemer, and it is by his hand that they will rise from the ashes of this world, everybody in and out in the crowd, they start cheering. They're all excited. Yay, redeemed. But as we 
take a closer look at these wretched, it seems that they're not really there specifically for the preaching. They're here for something else. There's one old guy wretched in particular, and he's got this <laughs> pair of sunglasses, and he's standing next to these other people, and he's like, It's coming! It's coming! It's Get ready! Coming. Ah. <laughs> this old guy, so oh. freaking excited with his lazy eye. I feel bad for this casting call. Like, You're like, any uglies? Ooh. Well, anytime you cast for the wretched. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, you confused me when you said sunglasses, because he's got binoculars. Oh, yeah. Like, sunglasses? Yes, yeah, binoculars. you did. Sunglasses? I, was like, I gotta go back and find that. <laughs> binoculars. With those binoculars, we get the classic done-before circular binocular view. Just so that we know. Before that, we get a woman over that shoulder who's wearing a tank top, but it's so weirdly shaded that it looks like her skin. So it looks like for a good chunk of this, uh, the second says they're panning closer to the guy with the binoculars, that she is a nude woman from the waist up with no nipples. Oh my goodness, <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's very disturbing. They could and have been taken. Only slightly less disturbing than the guy right behind binoculars guy who has got to be the skinniest scrawniest dirtiest man i've ever seen in my life oh he must be so hungry i wonder if they painted his ribs to make it look more gaunt or if that's just real i'll bet they painted it i'll bet he's painted i'll bet he's a thin man a very thin man who has been painted i hope so otherwise get him to craft services am i right yeah get him some pasta there's someone over the binocular guy's left shoulder, and I think it's a lady. Who looks like she's wearing a lady mask? She's got, like, tumors or burns down, like, the entire right side of her face and oh, down yeah. onto her neck. And she's got I Love Lucy hair. Cra- oh, no. You're, oh, I, no, the one on the other side. Oh, you, oh, the you other mean side. behind her. Yeah, you mean. Yeah. I'm not talking about I Love Lucy there. Yeah. Behind the elbow. Oh, yeah. I see her. Yeah. She's been cooked. Yeah, she's she in like bad she shape. She was an extra in gummo. Oh, gosh. There's no one in this crowd that's in a particularly good situation. Well, I feel like, okay, so if you're looking at the main four, so we've got the guy that looks pretty healthy and fit on the left. We've got the soccer mom in her 50s. Lucy, no tooth, skinny, blisters, and then just the other lady. The woman that's up between fit man and redhead, that's like, oh, and she's got her pan i feel like if you cleaned her off she'd be really pretty (laughs) gave her some teeth no no she has teeth all of them all of them Yeah, okay she's got an intact upper layer yeah she's right between fit guy and blind guy longbeard right yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) i love the way that i named these people it just really humanizes them makes them feel like fully fledged out individuals she's got good cheekbones she's got good jaw she's got all her teeth Looks like most of her tumors are on the inside. Gosh, clean her up and make her a wife. What I really like about the wretched is that some of them have these big canopy turtle shell things. Yeah. And I think that's a little shelter. Like when they sit down in the dirt, they put it in the dirt and it becomes like a little lean-to for them. Yeah, you see um, when the war rig's coming back, you see someone pop up out of the ground with that on him. You can bet that there's probably a lot of competition to try and get to the front of this crowd. Oh, yeah. So these are the cream of the crop. Oh, God. These are the strongest. That's sad. I guess you're talking about a very specific strata of individual and ability. And yeah, I think these are the ones, like you said, that are the cream of that particular crop. 
or the ones that get up early and stand in line and they're like really serious about queuing here where they're like, well, they were here first. Like those people that always seem to get there before you for concert tickets. Exactly. Like, how did you do that? I've been waiting. This is like post-apocalyptic Black Friday. <laughs> well, if you notice that there are the people on the other side, whenever there's a path, they don't try to cross it. I know it's probably for filming purposes, but you would think that there would be more of a mad rush up to it instead of this slow zombie walk. Shuffle. Yeah. So Joe's up there at the top and he's looking down on everybody. Waxing messianic. Like he do. And he flips these big old switches. And we don't get to necessarily see the final result of that switching because the minute cuts off. But you get a little bit of a peek of water flowing out of those pipes. Although it's really white and frothy. So we hope it's water and not mother's mother's milk. milk. Oh, gosh. Pouring that much water out already is going to get everywhere. But I can only imagine... How sticky everything will get if they're all covered in mother's milk? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, God. Dairy in the creases. Yeah. Then it's going to smell when it starts to go bad. One of the biggest complaints that I've heard about this scene is how wasteful and ridiculous this is. And I don't want to burn through too much content that we're going to end up using when we come back on Monday. But it's, if nothing else, very showy. Yeah. Sounds very church-like. What I think is interesting is that to release the water, they use the... um, engine order telegraph machines, which Mm. uh, they use on boats, which float on water. What? (laughs) They do not. They do sometimes, unless they sink. R.I.P. Titanic. Oh. That's now two Titanic things in this episode. (laughs) Yeah, Titanic is the number one movie that I think of when I think of where I've seen these type of valves before. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, who doesn't? It's that (laughs) pervasive in our culture. I do find it curious that they appear to have been molded into the rock, which is weird. Maybe this rock was a boat. <gasps> Maybe oh it's not rock. God. Don't it's rock wood. the boat. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> Boo. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this guy has the prettiest eyes. Yes. I know exactly who you're talking Second about. 53, like the, yes. the yeah, he has like these crazy like white blue husky eyes. Yeah, he reminds me of Sam Elliott. Let me see that with the prominent mustache and the eyes and eyebrows. The coloring of that mustache concerns me though. Yeah, he's got a lot of different colors going on here. Like his eyebrows are dark, and then his hair is gray, and his mustache is like. It's almost rusty. Which, what are you guys talking about? I wonder if the water coming out isn't exactly pure. Maybe it's high in iron. Oh, it's like flint water? Yeah. yeah. Are we talking about the beard guy? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. Oh, yes. Husky so eyes. Got it. if it's continually catching the water that he's drinking, it has over time turned that rust color. Ooh. It's oh. a high sediment water table, I'm sure. Plus, if he's scooping water off the ground after the water has initially fallen... Like, he might be getting some stuff from in the, ground. the little bucket thing that he's holding. Five-second rule does not apply to water. No. Although, if this water always comes out these pipes and always lands in the same spot, you better believe that the ground where it lands is continually scrubbed clean. Now, I know water doesn't flow out of there all that often, but often enough that it's not like it has to re-scrub that area clean every time it comes out. Mm. I would say it's a relatively clean area. Mm. Relatively. Yeah. yeah. 
<laughs> it's still covered in dirt, it's grime, clean and dust. compared right. to everything you else know. around them. It doesn't yeah. have blisters. Yeah, or, or tumors. <laughs> the earth doesn't have them, so we'll take what we can get. Exactly. That pretty much wraps it up for us. Crystal, we had you plug your stuff first on Monday. George, why don't you go first this time around and let the nice people know where they can find more of you? The Mogwai Minute. Mogwai Minute. Yeah, just put that on the internet. You'll find us. Like, we're all over the place. And we have we have a really fun Facebook group. So if you do listen to the show and like it, come join our Facebook group and talk about all the weird things that we talk about on the show in real time. It's a good time. Especially if you're vehemently a fan of pineapple pizza. Yeah, or vehemently <laughs> against it. Uh, we definitely have both sides of the story on that one. I like it if it doesn't make the pizza wet. It has to be like not wet after not the hard, pineapple's hard to do. on it. Yeah. <laughs> you don't want the pizza to have a soggy bottom. Exactly. Yeah. You don't exactly. want pineapple upside down pizza. <laughs> Yee. <laughs> and Crystal, where can people find more of you? You can listen to our podcast, our because John was here earlier, The Fifth Element on iTunes, and also Keep Calm and Game On, which is a video game podcast. And you can find me on social media at the Crystal Beth and John on social media at John Robert Wilso. Thank you both so much for coming on and crystal be sure to pass along our thanks to john when he gets back from obedience school oh hell yeah so disobedient he's hopefully he'll so... learn how to sit and play dead hopefully he's stuff. tired afterwards because he just needs to take a nap yeah <laughs> that way you don't have to take him out for a walk exactly right? <laughs> go lay down as for us we will be back on monday with the valves open we got massive amounts of water falling from the pipes to the wretched below but as much as they clamor for it, the Immortan is a shrewd warlord, so don't expect his generosity to last very long. The Mad Max Minute podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham. The Mad Max franchise was created by George Miller and Byron Kennedy, is presented by Kennedy Miller Mitchell Productions, and distributed by Warner Brothers. Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is Verdi's Dies Irae by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com. Our home on the internet is madmaxminute.com. You can follow us on Twitter at madmaxminute, like us on Facebook by searching for Mad Max Minute, and join our Facebook listener group, Mad Max Minute Beyond Microphone. If you'd like to support the podcast, visit madmaxminute.com, where you can see what's in our Tee Public store, join our Patreon, or even donate to the show to help us keep the tanks full. Thank you for joining us for Minute 9 of Fury Road. We'll see you next time.